Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Seven Foot Hard on podcast Spotify. Today on the phone, we have Coach Joe DeSantis. Coach has over 25 years of college coaching experience. After a very successful collegiate and professional career, Coach played four years at Fairfield Stags men basketball program. He led the team to the program the best 22 and 5 overall record and a berth to the National Invitational Tournament. DeSantis was drafted by the Washington Bullets in the second round in 1979 for the NBA draft, played overseas and in the CBA. Coach was an assistant coach at Fairfield, Duquesne, Pittsburgh, St. John's, and Fordham. Then in 1996, Coach became the head coach of Quinnipiac University. During 11 seasons, Coach guided the program through the transition from Division II to Division I. DeSantis was named NEC Coach of the Year by CBSSSports.com after guiding the Bobcats to an 18-10 first winning season since 92-93. Coach is now commentating for the radio and TV broadcasting for the Fairfield Stag men's basketball team as well as the NEC teams. Coach is a member of the New England Hall of Fame, and we're glad to have him on the phone today. Thanks, Joe. How you doing? I'm good, Sean. How you doing? You safe? Your family's good? Yeah, we're good. We're hanging in there. How you doing? Everything's good? I'm good. I'm good. By the way, tell your dad I miss him. You know, him <laughs> and I uh, work out together in the same gym over there at Planet Fitness in Derby, so uh, make sure you tell him yeah. I say <laughs> That's why he's telling me. He's like, he's always on a mission, that guy. I go, yeah, that's Coach. <laughs> hey, so... um. Coach, a little, a little bit of how I, how I met you. You know, you do a lot of, of clinics. You do a lot of coaching um, leagues. You know, I actually played in one of your leagues. I think it was at Laurelton High School when you had the league going there. Right. And, um, you know, you were always generous, kind, and, and, you know, you even let me jump in a couple times and play. And, you know, I just want to thank you for being on the call today. I appreciate you being here. No, no, I'm glad to be on. And uh, this is a good, good as time as any is what we're going through here. Good chance for me to kill some time and and uh, help you out, so uh, it's all good. I appreciate it. Hey, so coach, how did you get into college coaching? Well, you know it's funny, Sean. Uh, having played at uh, Taltine High School in the Bronx and having been uh, you know pretty heavily recruited, I uh, you know the first thing I can tell you is I met a lot of coaches, and uh, fortunately for me, um, you know I had good parents, so I was always respectful, and I must have um, been a good. Um, uh, been a good person, so people kind of remembered me. I went out to Fairfield, had a good career, as you mentioned, drafted, played overseas, and uh, I used to work a lot of camps. Uh, I heard your podcast with Hal Whistle, and and that's that's that you know Hal is the 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 ultimate uh, basketball lifer, if you will, and um, he was actually the head coach at Fordham when I was growing up in the Bronx, and they had offered me a scholarship, and Carlissimo, PJ Carlissimo, was the assistant coach. And I, I had to get out of the Bronx, you know. I was the king of mediocrity growing up in high school. But the yeah. point is, is that I, I already knew a lot of people. You know what I mean? A lot of coaches. I had worked five-star camps in the summertime. That's pretty much all I did. I worked five-star camps. I we drive out to Notre Dame when Notre Dame was one of the best. Uh, you know, back in my day, Notre Dame, UCLA, Maryland, uh, North Carolina State. They they were the better teams. So I used to work Notre Dame camp and met just met a lot of people who coached went on to coach and and um and essentially when when uh, i got done playing i was fortunate terry o'connor uh um who got the head coaching job at uh at uh, fairfield you, you know terry's a local guy yep and, um terry thought it'd be a good idea to hire uh, a, a fairfield guy you know an alum so uh i think i was fortunate but at the same time um, people knew me from a lot of the hard work I put in throughout the years as a high school and a college player. 
That's awesome. Now, coaching, you know, um, especially as you led the team to, uh, what, 22, 22 and 7, or was it 22 and 4? No. 22 and 5. You know, what was the culture, you know, as you guys played? You were the leader there. So how, how was that culture? Like, I know you had to bring these guys together and, and, and being a leader, you know, what did that what did that take? How did that feel? Well, you know, it, it's ironic, Sean. Um, people don't understand. Uh, when, when I graduated Talentine High School, uh, I was a C student. You know, I mentioned before, I was the key to mediocrity, the king of mediocrity. I, yep. I, I was not a big time uh, school lover. I did not like school. I, I did enough just to get by. And fortunately, I, I had a good coach in high school and he grabbed me after my um, sophomore year going into my junior year. See, back in the day, it wasn't like it was now, you know, where you play four years of varsity. I played freshman ball on average 10 points a game. I played JV ball average like 12 points a game and as a junior I was playing varsity and my coach grabbed me Bob Austin and he said do you want to be a good player or a great player and he and he basically told me what I needed to do so um I worked hard and the rest was history but the bottom line is when I went to Fairfield see you, you you're not going to understand this you will understand this but you don't you don't know this now it, back in the day um there was no big east there, and there wasn't it wasn't this, um, the conferences weren't distinguishable where like you came out of the womb or you grew up saying, I got to go to the ACC or I got to go play for the Big East. Yep. You, you played to play. And, you know, um, I, 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 so when I got recruited by Fairfield in 74 and wound up going there in 75, Fairfield had been to the NIT in, the, in 71, 72. And, and, and you got to understand, you, you mentioned we were 22 and 5 and went to the NIT. Yep. It was all like, again, I, I don't know the exact figure, but like 200 Division One schools back then. So, so um, when you, the NCAA tournament only had like 30, 32 teams. So when you went to the NIT, you were a top 50, top 60 team. So when Fairfield, Fred Barakat, who in, in my opinion, and again, I've been following Fairfield basketball since 74, was is is the best coach that I've ever seen at Fairfield University. So when he came into my home, Sean, in '74, and and offered me a scholarship, you know, I, I thought I was being recruited by you know one of the best coaches in the country and one of the best programs in the country. You know, I again, I didn't get offered by the Notre Dame's and the UCLA's. Yep. I wasn't that good, uh, but I went to Fairfield, and um, so I go to Fairfield my freshman year. And, and even though it was an hour away, for a kid from the Bronx, nobody in my family drove. <laughs> um, you know, going to Fairfield was like going to another country. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I scared to death, and all I wanted to do, Sean, was to fit in. That's it. So I had no aspirations of being what I what I turned out to be. I never thought I'd be a leader, per se. So in answer to your question, I just worked my tail off and saw that I had a good opportunity to have a good career. And to be honest with you... It propelled me to do well in school, uh, knowing that I had basketball. So I, 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 I played to win, uh, you know. And and e e even though I I might have been the leading scorer a couple of years and one of the all time leading scorers, all that blah blah blah. I really played to win, and I played the way the coach wanted me to play. So I never really looked at myself as a leader. I just looked at myself as just somebody that could really help this team win. Now. You got to understand also, my roommate and I, Mark Young, who, by the way, if he was coming out now, 
would probably be a 10-year NBA player, 6'10", 250, who could shoot. Um, wow. We were both drafted in the second round. And in the four years that I played at Fairfield, six or seven of us were drafted. Uh, I think six of us were drafted in the seventh round or better. Wow. So there, were, there were 10 rounds. So, you know, so it, it just was a whole different culture back there. But in, in answer to your question, I, I guess I was a leader because I became one of the better players on the team. But the bottom line is we had one leader, and that was our coach, Fred Barakat. Do you realize, Sean, my junior year, without the three-point line and no clock, we averaged almost 88 points a game. That's amazing. So we run, we ran, we shot, we shared the ball. and uh, That's awesome. So, uh, like I said, I, I never really looked at myself as a leader, like a vocal leader, just someone that tried to work hard. And, and if I could make, you know, I, always, I was always told that good players make themselves better. Great players make others better. So I always tried to be the hardest worker on the team. And hopefully that rubbed off on some of the other guys. That's great. So, Coach, how was that transition from, you know, being a player to coaching at the Division One level? Well, I'm going to go back. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to go back to what I said before. <laughs> I, I, I was fortunate to have a great education from Fairfield, where I wound up graduating with a C-plus, like a 2-5. And, but I don't think my life was about getting grades. My, my life at Fairfield was about growing up and, and meeting the important people that were going to help me you know, go on in life. And, and I, and I was always told that four year scholarship I got, and I tell kids this day to this day, that four year scholarship, that school you pick is, is going to be not a four year decision, but a 40 year decision. And, and I think a lot of kids make mistakes this year and to their, and to their defense, there's a lot with social media and a lot of people, you know, trying to get in kids ears. Yeah. A lot of kids get the wrong advice and they choose the highest level, which is not the best level. So, so when I graduated Fairfield and had a chance to play in the NBA, which I didn't, went overseas, made some good money. Okay, what do I do? I never knew what I was going to do. I, I was a marketing major. I was always intrigued by the sneaker companies, the guys that would come around and, and, and you know talk to you, you know, give you free sneakers, give the team sneakers. And I said, you know what? I could be like a, a marketing person, you know, work for some some sneaker company. Uh, promote their sneaker to NBA teams. I always thought that was a job that would be good for me. I'd be involved in basketball. I, 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 I'd be a salesman, use my marketing degree. But, you know, I came back to Fairfield and um, after I got to play and, and Terry offered me an assistant job, Terry O'Connor. And I never wanted to coach. Mm. Never, ever, ever did I think about coaching. But I worked all these camps. And when you worked five-star, five-star and you know, the Patinos and the UB Browns and Mike Fratellos and all these guys would be there working. You worked. You taught stations. And so I always felt I was a good per, a good teacher of the game. So I said, let me try this coaching thing. So the first year at Fairfield, I think it was a little easier for me, Sean, because um, I was back at my alma mater. Yep. I, naturally, people respected me because of my accomplishments as a player. But again, I was also... I was also uh, well raised and respectful, as I mentioned earlier. So I didn't have some big ego as a coach, big ego. So it was hard for me in a sense that I wasn't Joe Coach right away, but I picked my spots and was able to help kids, whether it's rebounding for them, working with them, and giving them advice. So it's kind of was a hard adjustment, but it wasn't because I think I was in the right place. Definitely. 
So, Coach, um, how did it feel when, when you got drafted? You know, a lot of people could say they've been drafted by the NBA, but getting that feeling of calling your name out and you got drafted the second round, how was that feeling? Well, you know what, Sean? I, I was always my, uh, again, I'm, I'm going back, and I this will be the third time today. <laughs> I, this. I, I was raised pretty well. Yeah. You know, my, my father came over uh, from Italy when he was 28. He was a, a tailor in the garment center down in, uh, in New York City and, you know, Sean, I, I always had the best Halloween costumes because he was a great tailor, <laughs> you know, from Superman to Batman. To there you go. <laughs> My mother, um, you know, never went to college either. And, and she was a superintendent of our building, and uh, which was another story. You know, the Bronx was kind of, my area was kind of run down at that point. But um, um, I, I, I was always, I always felt that, um, I, 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 I never felt that, I had this big ego, and I thought I was going to be an NBA player. I played Sean, and 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 I got good at it, and real good at it. So people started talking to me about possibly being drafted. And and while I thought that was a nice dream, I always kept my life in priorities. Okay, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. So I actually was. I remember I played in a, in a couple of All Star tournaments after my senior year in front of the NBA coaches. Uh, one was out in Utah as part of the Final Four, the, the NABC coaches uh, East-West game, and um, uh, that was uh, during the Final Four, '79, uh, with uh, Michigan State with Magic Johnson played um, Indiana State with Larry Bird, and you know the NCA has their coaching convention, so they have the All Star game then, and I was nervous as all get out. I had like four free throws, that was it, and then I got invited to this. Uh, tournament in Hawaii again in front of all of the college coaches yep. sorry pro coaches I actually met Will Chamberlain out there he was living out there Bobby Knight was my coach for the six days we practiced three days in a small gym and we'd scrimmage against the other teams you know the Midwest the North the South whatever and then uh, we play in a big arena and I actually played pretty well so I'm out on the beach out there in Hawaii you know <laughs> during one of the days off with Jimmy Paxson, who played for the Celtics uh, for many years, was an all-star. Uh, pl- I'm sorry, played for Portland for many years, and then the Celtics. So I remember uh, a woman coming up to me on the beach and saying to me, are you Joe DeSantis? And I said, yes, I am. She goes, um, well, my husband is Jerry Colangelo, who's a scout for the Phoenix Suns. And they're thinking about taking you late first round. They had a last pick in the first round. And he wanted to let you know that he's seen a lot of people leave their careers on the beach. You know, the sun saps your energy. So um, so I said, thank you, ma'am. And I waved to her husband, uh, you know, who was about 100 yards, 50 yards away or whatever. <laughs> and then I at the packs and I said, let's get the hell out of here. So, <laughs> so um, they, they, I didn't get picked in the first round. I was the last pick in the second round. So to make it long, to answer your question, I didn't know if I was going to go in the first round or, or the 10th round. So when I got picked, the last pick in the second round, it, it was... It was a dream come true. I, I remember I was at home and I got a call from Bob Ferry, the general manager of the uh, Bullets, the Washington Bullets. Hey, Joe, we picked you in the second round. You're actually our first pick because they didn't have a first pick. So I jumped on a bus, uh, took it across Fordham Road to where I hung out, and all my buddies were there, and they were thrilled for me. So awesome. it, it, it was a great feeling. And, um, and uh, you know, but... You know, it's funny, Sean, you're, you're in this business, too. I know you do a lot of AU and you work with young kids. 
how many times people come up to me now, and I, I run a basketball academy, as, as I'm sure you'll ask me about, but um, um, I've cut back a lot recently, but so many parents would come up to me and say, oh, my son got a Division three offer, a Division two offer, or, or a Division one scholarship, and they would say, boy, I'm glad that's over, and I said, no, 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 it's only the beginning now. <laughs> Definitely. You know, so, yeah. so for me, it was the beginning of, you know, another level where I had to prove myself, so... It, it, it was just a, a big time reward. Uh, you know, when, when you put all the, the bragging aside, hey guys, you know, you, you walk out of it, your friends are real happy, you got drafted, you're able to, you know, puff your chest out, put your head up. But in the back of my mind, I do it, I have to work my ass off to be an NBA player. So it was a great feeling. And uh, it's something now, uh, it's a great memory. You know, yesterday was my uh, grandson's first birthday. Happy birthday. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. He's a cutie. So when he, you know, he gets to be at a point where he'll understand what's going on, I'll be able to tell him I was a second round pick, and he'll be able to tell his friends that his grandpa, you know, was a second round pick. So That's it, great. it's certainly a great feeling, and it will always be a great memory. And 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 I'm not going to undersell it. It was a great achievement for me. Definitely, yeah. It's once in a lifetime, coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you when you became the head coach at Quinnipiac, um, you know, what did you look for when hiring assistant coaches? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great question. Um, I was an assistant for 15 years, and you, you mentioned I was at Fairfield, Duquesne, Pitt, St. John's. I actually took the Fordham job later after I got let go at Quinnipiac. Um, but I developed a lot of relationships, and whenever I would sit back and say, boy, whenever I'm going to be a head coach, I I want to play this way, and, and I want to be like this, and I, and I, and I want to have this type of players, and and when I get a job, I, I had, you know, I always had a line of, of guys uh, uh, that I thought I could hire. And I think when you talk to any coach nowadays, even more so because the, the stakes are so high in terms of what these guys are getting paid, the head coaches that, um, you know, you could get a four or five year job, get an extension, another four or five years or whatever, and you'd be set for life. So it's important that you hire loyal people. I, I always wanted to, I always, and even to this day, and I'm going to be honest, Sean, my, my, my coaching career wasn't exactly uh, a, a, um, a bed of roses, if you will. You know, every program I went to was a rebuilding program. You know, I never went to an assistant, when I was an assistant coach, I never went to a job that they had a winning program, and all she did was step in and just continue to do what the previous guy did. It was always about building. And when I took over Quinnipiac, they had one win in Division Two in their conference, and they, I knew they were going Division One. So um, I was a part of a few programs of his head coaches that got fired. So the bottom line is, anytime someone would come to me and ask me about, you know, Paul Evans at Pitt or, or, or Brian Mahoney at St. John's who got fired, I would always say, well, I was part of the problem because obviously we didn't get it done. So I always tried to speak well about the guys I worked for. And believe me, I, I worked for a lot of great guys. I always tried to be loyal. And I just tried to keep my head up, my nose down, and make sure that uh, I didn't have an ego. And and um, I was loyal and hardworking. So that was the kind of the qualities, um, of generally speaking, of I, want, I wanted loyal guys who were hardworking. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, you know Mitch Oliver, Albertus Magnus? Yes. Who... Um, who I, I hope he, he doesn't mind me saying this, but his father is 
contracted the, the uh, coronavirus and he's at Yale New Haven. So I, I'm only saying it because I hope everyone can say a prayer for him. He's 81 years old. Oh, and, um, you know, it's a tough time. And I, I, when he first find out, it was my wife and I were almost in tears. And, uh, but he seems to be doing better. But Mitch fired and Mitch Oliver had just gotten let go at Sacred Heart um, when they were going Division One. And, and when I was recruiting at Quinnipiac, my first couple of years, I, I, I always talked to kids and they, I found out that every team, I, every kid I talked to was being recruited by Sacred Heart. And I found out that Mitch was a real good recruiter and he was um, writing these kids letters, letters, letters. And so I thought that could be a guy that could help me because he knew he knew the, the, the environment, the Connecticut environment, the East Coast. He knew the recruiting. So to make a long story short, you're looking for guys that are loyal. You're looking for guys that are hardworking. But I'll be honest with you, Sean, the way it is now, uh, more so because the stakes are so high, it's not a bad thing to hire a guy to get a player. I, I, you know, The old school guy just sitting here going, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. But if you can help yourself get a player that's going to turn your program around and that, and that person has got to be a good person yeah. you, you know so so my, my advice to, to any coach younger coach out there someone like yourself who's looking to move on is get to get to know people um continue to be a hard work you're you're a hard worker you're enthusiastic you have energy people will pick on that pick up on that but you got to get in the front door and if you could take a job as a volunteer a local college job if you can go to practices watch yep. people play so i'm always looking well not anymore i haven't coached in 14 years but i was always looking for guys that were involved that had a dream that wanted to move forward but at the same time did not like or have an ego where he was going to get himself or his staff or his players in trouble definitely it's great advice coach so as actually we saw, we talked about you know the advice of a coach starting out. You just went over that, which is great. Um, you know I'm I'm blessed to have a mentor like Muggsy, you know Kevin McGinnis, and uh, he put me in all the right organizations and NABC, and then I'm I've been going to the Final Four every year, you know. So that that type of stuff I think for for younger guys I think that's our guys starting out is important, yeah. you know, being in organizations like that, right? Oh, absolutely. And and uh, Kevin McGinnis is, is a lifer, too. He's been in it his whole life. And yep. he's going to introduce you to people. And you're going to, you know, you're going to your relationships will now branch out to other people. But it is a little different now, Sean, because back in the day and whistle how coach Hal Whistle mentioned this. And, you know, I worked five star camps and they don't have the end because those camps, see, the recruiting got to be really bigger than ever, because back in the day. You signed, when you were a senior in high school, you signed in May, okay, at the end of your school year. Now, a lot of the bigger coaches, I'm not going to mention names, but you know who I'm talking about, they lobbied yeah. the NCA, and a bunch of years ago, they, they wanted the, this early signing period in November, So because they did not want to have to coach during the season, you know, because a lot of coaches... They'd go out and have to recruit during the season, and they and they'd miss some practice time or be yeah. running around away from their families. So the NCA instituted this early signing period. So follow me with this, and a lot of people don't even know this, and a lot of current coaches don't know this. That early signing period meant kids were making decisions now in November. So what does that mean? Well, that means it put a lot of emphasis on the recruiting. If you're a college coach, the AAU coaches in the summer. 
So the AAU coaches became very, very powerful because if I'm the head coach at, um, I'll say Quinnipiac, you know, or Fairfield or Fordham or whatever, I'd have to now recruit more in the summer yep. because of that early signing period. So I'd have to approach the AAU coach and, and kiss his butt and <laughs> let him know how great a coach he is. And I'm going to pull any punches. And that AAU coach became very, very powerful. Now I'm getting to a point here. The NCAA saw that these AAU coaches were getting so powerful. And and there's a lot of great AAU coaches, but there's a lot also, you know, there's an old saying, you give the man a rope and he thinks he's a cowboy. Yep. A lot of these AAU coaches were street guys back in the day who figured out a way to make money off the college coaches and become powerful. So a lot of these AAU coaches, and then the sneaker companies got involved by promoting these AAU coaches and Definitely. giving them sneaker deals. So the, my, my point is the whole recruiting thing came out of control. So my point is back in the day, you'd work these exposure camps, the five stars, the Eastern Invitationals, the uh, the, hoop, the hoop school. Uh, yeah, hoop group. Up in, yep. Yeah, hoop group. Not hoop group. Uh, Eastern Invitational turned out to be hoop group. Yeah. But the camp up that uh, Steve Gibbs used to run up in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, oh, boy. I'm getting, hoop Mountain. Who you know, Metro Index, uh, a lot of the old coaches who might be listening to this are laughing when I say Metro Index. That was out of California, PA, which was like the end of the earth. But Joe Butler used to run. So we, we'd go to all these exposure camps. So my point is the NCAA did away with a lot of summer recruiting. So now the AAU program becomes more important. So, you know, you're, what I mentioned to you is... Um, we used to work a lot of camps and get exposure, get 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 uh, introduced to a lot of college coaches. Yes. Now it's different. You got to work. You got to be an AAU coach. You got to you got to work college coach camps. You know yep. the local camps, and and uh, you got to promote yourself. So Definitely. it's it's uh, it's 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 a big difference uh, now than it was back then. I think a lot easier back then because you work all these exposure camps. But the NCA has curtailed a lot of the uh, the summer recruiting. Definitely. So transitioning all that, now you have your own basketball academy, right? You've been doing for the last couple of years? Yeah, well, what happened the last 13 years, I, I, I got let go by Quinnipiac, and I had a year on my contract, and I, I had a good contract where, um, let's see, where I was able to run that summer camp after I got let go at Quinnipiac, and I had a tremendous summer camp. I had one year, I had over a 1,000 kids. Wow. Uh, yeah, and... Um, and um, so that I was able to run that summer camp the year after I got left. That was the summer of 07. And I also, since my contract went to 08, I had rights to the following year to run that camp. And um, what happened was they bought me out, essentially. So my point is, with that year I didn't coach, I had Quinnipiac paying me. And I had, um, I had um, the summer camp. Yeah. So I had... I had a lot of money, if you will. So I said to myself, you know what? I probably can go get an assistant job somewhere. Uh, I was kind of burnt out because the 13 years I was there trying to build that program had nothing to do with the people there. But essentially, you know, the old Quinnipiac gym, it was like a bad high school gym. Jeez, yeah, small. I, I, you know, I took over the job. People couldn't even say the word, the name Quinnipiac. <laughs> It was a lot of work for me in those 11 years that I was there. Definitely. And uh, I was kind of burnt. So I said, let me take the year off. And in this year, what can I do? <clears throat> um, well, I always felt I was a better teacher than I was a coach. 
So I said, you know what? I got a pretty good name in this area. Let me start a basketball academy where I could work. I was young at the time. I was 49. I said, let me, let me, let me, I could work with kids one-on-one. My kids were still in high school. I can run leagues. So when the thing was at its peak, Sean, and when you played my college league, I was doing one-on-ones. I mean, I was doing as many as three, four, five a day. Yeah. Okay. I was doing um, a summer camps with little kids, running them at different sites. I was running uh, a summer league, a fall league, my, like uh, a, uh, I was doing uh, high school clinics, exposure clinics. Um, I was doing everything from A to Z in terms of teaching and helping out kids in the area. And um, as I got older, it became a little harder. You know, I'm going to be 63. I have a right knee issue. <clears throat> so I've cut back a lot. And right now, I essentially, I'll do occasional one-on-one for a um, for a, a friend. But I, I don't do nearly as many as I used to. I, I do a summer league. I had 42 teams, boys and girls. And this Great. past fall, I had 68 um, teams Boys varsity, girls varsity, and the JV boys in my fall league. I they hire me a lot up in Ridgefield. Um, they do a terrific job with their feeder program. So I have a little gig where I work with um, fourth grade boys and girls. And I had like fifty. I had like fifty five kids. I go up there two times a week for like twelve weeks. I do after school programs in Trumbull too, Frenchtown School in Middlebrook. So the transition was good for me because I was kind of fed up with the coaching thing and I always considered myself a teacher and um, it was fun and and my job like yours was not just helping kids play basketball it was advising kids and parents and and, um, you know I once asked a friend of mine um, who had a ton of money I said boy it must be good to have a lot of money he said you know what Joe it's good because I can help other people well I don't have a ton of money but I think I have good knowledge of what goes on in the basketball uh, uh, sport of basketball on every level and um, I certainly can help advise uh, and transition people kids from high school to college unfortunately um, a lot of kids don't want to hear and parents don't want to hear right thing you know they you're right they're they're they're, i shouldn't say a lot a few but um you know uh i always feel that being honest is is the best thing and and so i I help a lot of kids get exposure and but i've cut back man i'm I'm, uh (laughs) i i have cut back a lot so um i i've uh you know hoping uh, a couple of years to uh the winter months maybe get some some down in florida but uh but my life's been basketball, and for a C student, I'm pretty thrilled because uh, <laughs> this this July will be 40 years I'm married. Uh, I, have, yes. I have four kids who all have good jobs, and I have one grandson. Great. So uh, I think for the most part, uh, I, I, I've uh, I've transitioned my life from basketball and because of basketball into a position where I'm semi-comfortable. Definitely. Yeah, you earned it. Hey, Coach, I have a funny story I want to share. I heard this through the grapevine. Um you were at a camp playing, you know, one one night, and uh, Dr. J blocked your shot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me a little yeah. about. What, tell me about that. I was I was listening to it. I was intrigued. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's uh it's a, it's a tr- it's a great story. It, it may seem unbelievable, <laughs> but um, uh, um, both my uh, tremendous parents are, are buried at Woodlawn Cemetery, so I put my hand on their graves and tell and tell you this is a true story. Um, so I, again, I used to work a lot of camps. Uh, again, I, I 
I, I growing up, I remember my first job was at a pharmacy delivering uh, prescriptions uh, <laughs> to the neighborhood and working at a supermarket and uh, working at a neighborhood uh, improvement association when I was in high school in the Bronx. And well, in the summertime, I said, you know what? I, I like this basketball thing. Let me work these different camps, as I mentioned earlier. So I'd work literally three weeks of five star in Honesdale, PA and Pittsburgh and West Virginia. And, and I'd work Notre Dame camp and, and I'd squeeze in an occasional camp at Wolf Frazier's camp down in New Jersey. And, and I heard Dr. J was running a camp in New Jersey. And I was like, who wouldn't want to work for Dr. J's camp? And the reason why I work these camps is to make a few dollars, but to also to play at night. You know, and uh, we'd play at Five Star. There was monumental uh, Five Star uh, counselor games. You know, you played against a lot of guys that played in the NBA. And at Notre Dame, I got to play against a lot of the the, NBA, the Notre Dame guys. And I mentioned earlier, they were they were one of the better programs in the country. Adrian Dantley, Orlando Woolrich, uh, Flowers, Lambeer. These <laughs> guys all went out to play in the NBA, and we'd play at night. So I, at Five Star, at uh, Dr. J Camp, we'd work during the day and put the kids to bed and at night, we'd play counselor games, and Dr. J would play. So, you know, I was, uh, I believe, after my freshman year um, from Fairfield, where I had a good year, but I wasn't nearly the player that I was when I graduated. And again, I coming out of high school, I was 5'10", 5'11", 150 pounds. <laughs> so anyway, I go up for a layup, and um, I think it was at Montclair State. I get those colleges, Uppsala College, one of those colleges, and it's a small gym. And it was hot. It was in the middle of summer. So the doors were open trying to get some air. And he blocked my shot. It literally went out the door into the woods and down a hill. That's and, great. And we never found the ball. And so while we're looking for it, we come back in. He goes, so Dr. J with the big afro and, and you know, the, 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 the 70s look, the whole thing, says, he says, uh, who, who shot that effing weak S-H-I-T? <laughs> so I, I turned around and I, I don't know. <laughs> so that's a true story. But let me tell you another quick story for some of the old timers and even some of the younger guys like yourself who know Dr. J, you know that his legacy. He was such a great guy. One night he took all the counselors out to a restaurant bar and um, he fed us and... Um, Afterwards, some of the guys had some drinks, and and um, um, I remember that there was a dance floor there, and he he sat in a chair with his legs crossed. He had on the the, the, the Converse sneakers. Uh, I remember like Dan was like yesterday. He had the big bell bottoms, you know, the wide bell bottoms, and he had like a red, white, and blue stripe coming down the side. He had the big O for Afro, and those are days you could smoke anywhere. He was smoking cigar, just watching people dance, and a, a fight actually broke out in the bar but um but um yeah that 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 that's a true story and um um I, I like to laugh about it i i i now if it was you who blocked my shot <laughs> i would tell that story but since it was dr j <laughs> I, I don't mind it you know what i'm saying <laughs> there you <are. laughs> Hey, Coach, I want to um, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on the phone and, and taking some time out for what you did. And everything you're doing and did is amazing, you know, and I appreciate you being on today. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you have, having me. I'm honored. And, and again, I, and as Coach Hal Whistle said, uh, you know, make sure you're safe, man. I, 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 I got to tell you a quick story. I, I went to a restaurant to pick up some pizza. I'm not going to say which one. And my pizza was about 20 minutes late, so I was waiting outside. There were 20 people 
congregating inside, and I was pissed off. And Jeez. I'm going back there tomorrow to check to see if to see if they're gonna have 20. I'm gonna call a guy. So stay safe. This thing is real. You know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long it's last. It stinks. It's, it's bad. It's boring. We're bored to tears. Guys like you and I, we got to be on the move. And Definitely. reading the book, watching TV doesn't cut it. But people, please do what you're supposed to do, and we can get rid of this thing and move on. But appreciate you having me on, and, and uh, say hi to Muggsy and, and keep in touch. All right, Sean. Definitely. Tell your dad hello. Definitely. Thanks, Coach. Nice talking to you. you got it. Cool. Hey guys, thanks for channeling in the Seven Foot Heart Intro podcast we had joe desantis on today which is great 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 job today we loved having him tomorrow tune in we have laura sinto from fairfield university as well she's the women's assistant coach thank you guys for coming in today enjoy the day